You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Pinball Summer, aka Pick Up Summer, released March 1st, 1981. It was written by Richard Zelnicker, directed by George Mahalka, and released by Distributor Uncertain. <laughs> It was shot mostly on the West Island in Montreal in 1978 when does Pinball... Does that mean... Sorry. Does that mean it wasn't distributed? It was, under both of those titles. But I couldn't find the name of the distributor anywhere. Okay. Say, so if you made me watch another stupid movie that I didn't need to watch... You're welcome. No. The film was shot mostly on the West Island in Montreal in 1978 when Pinball was at its peak popularity. Unfortunately for the filmmakers, the weekend The Shining was released in 1980 was also the weekend that Pac-Man hit arcades, and nobody gave a shit about pinball overnight. <laughs> As a result, the film was retitled Pick Up Summer by American distributors. The wall-to-wall Beach Boy-esque soundtrack was provided by French-Canadian musicians Jay Boyvin and Germain Gautier, and the first cut they were shown was three hours long. Oh, my God. So they wrote a lot of music. I was wondering why it was constant music in this movie. Yeah. So when the film was cut down, essentially in half, the music is so dense that the songs are all smashed up against each other from beginning to end. Yeah. but There's it's, barely enough time for a song to fade out before the next one starts. It did save me from a lot of unnecessary dialogue, though. That's true. <laughs> they just mute the characters and let you hear the yeah. song play. <laughs> And a lot of the dialogue that is spoken is also unnecessary. That is true. We start the film with a van driving along a stretch of road on the coast of a lake. Greg and Steve are arguing muted under the film's theme song, Pinball Summer. On the same road, two girls, Donna and Susie, are driving a blue convertible. Finally, Bert rolls along on his motorcycle down the same street. I actually really appreciated this introduction because... They show like it's a sitcom, the actor's name on top of the actor for right, all right. five of these characters. <laughs> it made my notes very simple. It's, it's your kind of intro. <laughs> Do that more, filmmakers. Look like an 80s sitcom intro, please. <laughs> then we cut to what looks like a radio DJ performing inside of a fake car that is mounted on the wall at Pete's Arcade. This is Marvelous Mark in the Dark. But I don't feel like this is actually is he actually broadcasting i think he is because they can hear him on their car radio as they're okay. driving around town is like he's talking I about thought it was just pre-lapped audio like on the cut and like he was just screwing around like i didn't know if he was well it's the same DJ. voice in the car when the guy says like it's the last day of school throw those books out your windows mm. and you see the guys throwing their books out the windows okay but uh it looks like someone just drove a classic car through the wall of this arcade um, it reminded me of uh, Hans Moleman crashed into Planet Hype on the dock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Help. Isn't that clever? It looks like a Cadillac drove right into the building. Help me. When they threw their books out the window, they, then there's a shot of like a motorcycle coming the other direction. I really wanted the motorcycle guy to stop and like break stereotype and be like, oh, my God, you guys, you threw these books out. Chemistry. These. Like, you know, these are great for next year. I'll use these. <laughs> yeah. The main title comes up, Pick Up Summer which was the title when the film was re-released in 1983, but the theme song is still Pinball Summer. Yeah. A group of cheerleaders are cheering on behalf of Pete's Arcade just outside until a flasher in a trench coat appears. He yanks open the jacket to show off that he's wearing ladies' undergarments, and all the cheerleaders run into the arcade as Pete comes out the door to chase off the flasher. It never occurred to me that flashers would wear garters as a practical matter because to hold up the fake pants he has fake pants <laughs> yeah. under his trench coat that are held up by the garters that's true <laughs> they're very important to his costume in steve and greg's van the dj from pete's arcade can be heard talking about the last day of school they toss all their textbooks out the window of the van and bert behind them on the motorcycle thinks it's hilarious and runs them all over i feel like there's a quite a few moments in this movie where they're all on the same page yeah. It's weird because <laughs> <laughs> he ran over their books. Yeah. Uh, that page. But 
specifically like it just feels like these people should be at each other's throats the whole time and there's a few moments here in the beginning where they're like that was actually pretty funny good job guys what i thought was going to happen and it doesn't so i can say it is i thought that they were going to be adversarial but then in the end they were going to need to come together to sure to to do something to accomplish a goal Donna and Susie notice the guys in their van as they drive past them, and the guys make a U-turn to follow. They claim to want to show them a new game at the arcade and offer to lead them to the place like they don't know where it is, even though this city only has an arcade and a burger joint and this stretch of road between them. Mm -hmm. And the clubhouse. That's true. And a gym. (laughs) A health, what do they call it, a health club? A fitness center. When the girls agree to follow them, one of the guys moons them out the back window of the van, and they think it's hilarious. Bert and his biker friends pull up outside the arcade and park their bikes to head inside. A couple hoity-toity ladies come out of a beauty parlor next door, and they complain about all the bikes blocking the sidewalk. As they step to walk around them, the van and convertible drive by and splash a puddle of tar into their faces. Like, hot tar. Yeah, there's just a big, huge puddle of black oil goo and it goes right in their faces perfectly but it's clearly the van and the convertible that greg and steve and donna and Susie were in driving by right splashing them and then they're back out on that stretch of road out by the lake and uh even though they said they were going to lead the girls here to the arcade mm-hmm. they say hey meet us at oj's restaurant so now they're switching locations on us well we just splashed like the da's wife so we better whoever it is yeah we, <laughs> he's just the counselor yeah or the, what does that mean I, I yeah i couldn't i was calling him mayor in my notes the whole way and then at the end he gets introduced as councilman and i was like councilman what i've been calling him mayor this whole time the girls continue driving down the road on the wrong side of the dividing line into oncoming traffic and a car is forced to drive off the road and crash through a trash can and other obstacles in the park on the side of the road. And they continue to drive alongside yeah. the van after that. And they blame the guys for, yeah. for getting them into trouble. We see one of the hoity-toity ladies uh, with tar still all over her face walking into what I thought was the mayor's office. Um, but he also happens to be her husband, and this is Councilman Frank. She demands he do something about those damn kids at the arcade, even though the people who splashed her didn't even go into the arcade. They were, they were just driving past the arcade. We see Bert the biker at one of the pinball machines drop a quarter on a string through the slot, and then he pulls it back out of the machine once his coin registers. I've never seen this done outside of a cartoon. Yeah. So I was actually pretty impressed with the, that, it, that, that, it, it works. that it was a thing. But he also does it so slowly and deliberately while staring directly at Pete, the owner of the arcade, that it's like he wants to get caught and thrown out. But Bert pretends that Pete is just trying to molest him, and Pete throws him out of the place. When the mayor, not the mayor, gets through to Pete, <laughs> he tells him to talk to the kids who might have caused trouble, and <laughs> Pete's just like, yeah, no, we don't have any kids that caused trouble here, and he's like, okay, great. Sounds wonderful. Well, you, you, you go ahead and talk to whoever, and uh, thanks so much. And that's the end of it. Like, yep. that's enough for Charlene to be satisfied with the call. Yeah, and, and enough of the plot line of, oh, no, this lady's going to get the, the arcade shut down yeah. and, and stop these kids from having fun. Oh, was like, that a plot line? It, it, it was <laughs> for it, a moment. It would be in any normal 80s movie. Yeah, th- this movie tries to be like six or seven different types of movies. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't work when you're trying to do them all at once. Yeah. We cut to OJ's drive-in restaurant where the guys and girls have grabbed a booth now. Bert and the gang pull up outside OJ's just as Steve is ordering a bunch of nonsense from Sally the waitress. Hi, guys. Hi, Sal. What would you like? We'll have some pickled chicken puckers, a steamy heap of lizard gizzards, and some frogmire shakes. Yeah. Bert walks in and gives Sally a big kiss because it turns out this is his girlfriend, Greg challenges Donna to a game of pinball, but he says lowest score pays for lunch, which pinball isn't like golf. Like, <laughs> lowest no, but, score, but lowest score pays for lunch is makes like, sense. You, you aren't lost. the winner; you oh, are the sense. loser. Yep. <laughs> when they start the machine up, we see that it's labeled with a character named Arthur, and it begins talking to them. I thought, again, erroneously, that this was going to be about a talking pinball machine. <laughs> I was like. Oh, God, please let this be about that would have been the, the love-matic grandpa from the <laughs> of the pinballs. Oh, my God. I would have much preferred to watch that movie. Right? It does seem weirdly sentient. I thought 
that at first it was going to be a prank like someone's on the other side of the wall with a microphone. It never comes back. It does. It, it does? Yeah, a couple times. I mean, I remember the same machine comes back, but like the the fact that it talks isn't relevant. No, not it's never relevant. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ready to challenge this wild and crazy pinball machine? You say something? Don't just stand there, vacuum brain, vocal plunger. <laughs> the pin game did. Yeah, it looks like maybe he's come up with another special. Which I've never heard somebody call a pinball machine a pin game. But then I also wasn't around when they were popular. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just think it's so funny that they're amazed that this thing is like so on it, like in terms of its insults. Too. Yeah. You're like, do they, can they see me? Do they know? But they know it's a brand new game. And I should point out, they're not at the arcade right now. Correct. They're at the restaurant across town, but Pete rents out pinball machines to this entire city. Okay. Because I don't think outside of the end, they ever play any games in the arcade. Yeah, it's just just for the competition. That's yeah. it. I was, I, yeah, I was constantly confused about where these pinball machines yeah. were. Bert walks over and leans on the game while Greg is playing and starts hitting on Donna. She's not into him, so they have a volley of half-assed insults for a minute. The more Greg insults Bert, the angrier he gets, and Bert keeps slapping the pinball machine, but it reacts as though it knows it's getting hit. <laughs> Ouch. Greg warns him against continuing to hit the machine until a fight breaks out. Almost immediately, cops are there to break it up. And we cut back to Pete's Arcade, where Wimpy is nailing up a sign announcing an upcoming pinball competition. As Wimpy climbs down the ladder, all the steps break apart like they're made out of balsa, and he collapses to the ground. Well, that, that, that's what you get for building your own ladder. Because right. this clearly wasn't like a purchased ladder. This was clearly like... He had extra wood and built it himself before <laughs> he climbed up it. Yeah. Pete invites Greg and Steve to check out the trophy for the contest. Pete lets them know that the contest starts in three weeks. They'll have playoffs in the morning and finals in the afternoon. So this movie takes place over three weeks? Yes. Jesus. It could have been one day. It seriously felt, feels like a day. At the same time as they're having the pinball contest, they'll have a pinball queen contest. And the winner of the pinball contest gets the trophy and a date with the pinball queen. And the winner gets the trophy and a date with the pinball queen. We cut elsewhere in the parking lot where Rod and his girlfriend Pam are sitting in a very expensive looking car, possibly an Excalibur, possibly a lookalike of an Excalibur. Mm. Rod tells Pam that his parents just bought a second Excalibur. The sticker price for a 1981 Excalibur was $47,900 or $137,841 in 2021 bucks. Pam, did I tell you Dad bought another car? No. We're a two Excalibur family now. Cream with burgundy fenders and a saddle interior. It's beautiful. Oh, no! There's a spot on your windshield! Greg and Steve run up and start climbing all over the car while they make fun of Rod. I'm sure whoever loaned them the car for this movie was furious to see this, especially when Steve walks across the bumper at the end of the shot. Yeah. The guys go to bug Donna and Susie again and invite them for a drive to the mountains. When they get turned down, the guys jump into their car and throw the girls in the back seat to commandeer their vehicle. Then we get a terrifying clip of Steve swerving all over the road while Greg stands in the back seat with a girl in his arms. Oh my god. And it's this, all the actors. It's yes, not stunt yeah. people. Yeah, this isn't stunt people. There's no harnesses as far as I could tell. No. Like They are just screwing around on the back of a car that's going mighty fast. Every sudden turn looks likely to cause Greg to throw this girl out into the street, but they manage not to drop her in the scene. Her, her terrified acting was real. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been funny if the next scene is a different actress. Like, you'd be like, oh. <laughs> she still has a little bit of blood just speckled on her because she was a close enough actress to the accident. When we get to the mountains, the lighting is so bad that I'm not convinced they didn't just use an undressed sound stage. It's literally just black except for the characters and some running water in the foreground yeah I, i'm pretty sure they are outside but they definitely shot night for night yeah <laughs> uh and there's there's absolutely no lighting on them yeah. whatever lighting is from whatever street lights or possibly just dim crescent moonlight yeah greg and donna move to make out on the ground when suddenly charlene and her friend are walking through the same pitch black mountain park at 1 a.m yeah <laughs> i was like what the hell are they doing <laughs> why here? are you here and they trip over the couple fucking on the ground. 
She starts ranting at them again, but none of this really matters. She's gonna, she's about to disappear for almost the whole rest of the movie. The next day, Greg and Steve rear-end Rod's Excalibur as a joke and cause soda cups to spill into the car. The whole recurring gag is basically just Greg and Steve being ruthless monsters to a guy because he's rich. Every line he gets is a broad caricature of a trust fund kid. You guys will never learn any class. Just a couple of juveniles. You're right, Rod. Also, it's it's really ridiculous that he had put the... Because it, it's like a... Not a drive-in, but the the kind of diner where they bring out your food on a tray that you would hook up onto the side of your window. Yeah, and he put it on the windshield. Yeah, he put it on the windshield facing into the car. If you were so interested in protecting this car, you would not allow yeah, for food sure. anywhere near it. But that's victim-blaming, Richard. That's true. <laughs> I'm sorry. But he, and more importantly his girlfriend, don't really deserve the shit that our heroes are giving him. Especially since he literally never instigates any of this. Not that he deserves an Excalibur either, but still. It's like, you guys are being weirdly harsh. Uh, the guys spend a little time simultaneously hitting on and annoying Bert's waitress girlfriend, Sally. And then we cut to the arcade, where Bert distracts Pete with his quarter on a string again, while his boys steal the shitty unimportant trophy. Sally brings food out to Greg and Steve, and then takes an order for Wimpy. Greg and Steve spray condiments all over the car that costs more than college does now. Bert swings by with the trophy affixed to his bike, and for some reason Greg and Steve are personally offended and plan yeah. to steal it back once they've picked up Susie. We cut to a pack of girls in white shirts washing a car. Is there more than two girls here? No. Okay. It just seems like the way they're shooting around the car, maybe they're breaking the 180 degree rule. I think rule they are. Because it looks like there's like six girls washing this car, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and yeah. then four of them just disappeared. No, it's just two of them. And I, I'm fairly certain that nobody wears a bra in this entire movie. Right. Aside from the The, the people swimsuits. who aren't wearing shirts. Yeah, the swimsuits are, you know, that's, it's just, I mean, yeah, nobody, nobody has to wear a bra. I'm just saying when you, when all of your characters aren't wearing bras and you have a pointless car washing scene yeah. where hoses are sprayed at them, like, I think we could see right through yeah. your motives here. It's, it's as Dashiell Parr would say. If no one's wearing a bra, then everybody's tits are out. What? Remember in The Incredibles? <laughs> yeah, but, but it, was, it was Syndrome who said that. Well, doesn't Dash say it also when, when she says, everyone's ev special, everyone's special everyone's which special is another Dash. way of saying no one is. Yeah. So if everyone's braless, then no one is. I don't think that's how that no, works. No, that doesn't work either. Also, they're sisters. And, and they're sisters they are sisters they are sisters i missed that fact <laughs> and, and, and it gets real weird i mean i know yeah. that they were in the same house later but i thought they were having like a sleepover <laughs> no they're grounded <laughs> you don't have you don't have a sleepover when you're both grounded you don't get grounded with your with friend, your friend? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> greg and steve show up and they tell the girls that they just had a run-in with bert but they use uncharacteristically harsh language for just this one moment we just had the pleasure of seeing fuckface <laughs> sounds better when you say it <laughs> uncharacteristically harsh language for just this one moment we just had the pleasure of seeing fuckface he stole a trophy from the arcade so? <laughs> I, li I like that coming too yeah. <laughs> who gives a shit it's not your trophy but also, you didn't win it yet then they don't justify it for the entire rest of the movie <laughs> how much do you think that trophy costs seven dollars you've well, wasted that much gas driving around town today also they don't want to get it back to give it back to pete right they, they just want it, it. <laughs> what's the point of keeping it if you haven't earned it <laughs> but he's like so we got to get it back why <laughs> the girls bet them that they can't steal the trophy back and meet them at the oj restaurant in an hour make it half an hour <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay fine i don't give a fuck it's a stupid trophy the guys pull up to a shack on the edge of town inside we can hear the biker gang playing poker and betting with car parts Greg and Steve sneak around the outside of the building toward the trophy, still tied to Bert's bike outside. The winning hands sound more and more outlandish. Two kings. <laughs> Three kings. Four kings. Four kings. <laughs> hey, that, that, that's too many kings. <laughs> <laughs> A fight spills out of the bar, and the guys hide from the tumbling bikers. It happens once more, but eventually they get the trophy, 
But before they leave, they honk their car horn to invite Bert and all the boys out to chase them away. Yeah. Like, they already got away with the heist. And then they were like, hey, come and catch me. But just before they honk their horn, we hear a gambler inside proudly shouting about his impressive hand. Eight fucking aces! <laughs> the bikers chase the van, and so do some cops, until they crash their cruiser into a fire hydrant, and it starts filling the car with water. Yeah, they, they crash over the hydrant. No water comes out. And then while they're in the car, just a little bit like a hose yeah. ha- had been put in the car. It's like, no, there's... there's it like, should be rocketing there, up. Yeah, there's like hundreds of pounds of pressure in yeah. a fire hydrant. At OJ's restaurant, Wimpy has the Talking Arthur arcade machine open for repairs when a girl flashes him to distract him and give the boys time to stash the trophy inside the machine. So he's not giving it back to Pete. Nope. He, they're putting it in a pinball machine in a different retail yeah. location and one that clearly is being worked on that so they don't have the key to this machine yeah and also he's gonna oh okay buddy don't worry about it spiders oh. um oh yeah that's the one that hadn't moved for weeks <laughs> he there is he alive he is alive uh anyway, <laughs> anyway i so, gotta go guys <laughs> have fun with your house <laughs> Richard leaves and lights it on fire. <laughs> the kids are in there, Richard. It's taken care of. Uh, and clearly, Wimpy wasn't done working on it. Right. So to think that he would not, oh, yeah, I have to finish working on this pinball machine yeah. and immediately find the trophy. Why do they have to hide it at all? Leave it in their van. Yeah. Why did you bring it in here? Oh, I know why. Because of the script. <laughs> We cut to the guys and girls at the fairground for a montage. (laughs) They go to the fair for like six minutes. (laughs) Anyway, apparently there was something wrong with the Arthur arcade game, and it's been sent back to the arcade for repairs. After hours, Wimpy is put in charge of fixing the Arthur machine in the back room of the arcade, and he finds the trophy inside. Oh, sorry. I wanted to bring up a a thing that happens at the amusement park. Something happened at the (laughs) amusement park? (laughs) Because it's really weird games were played um, prizes were won yeah yeah well th- th- there's that sure um but uh it it cuts to them like sitting together as couples but steve just seems really despondent like he's just sitting there and like she's like trying to cut cuddle up to him and he's like shaking his head no and like looking really sad I was like what happened <laughs> why are you so upset it's part of the hour and a half that got cut out of this movie yeah it's like he seems really genuinely upset about something and and it just moves away from it yeah you can't hear them for this scene because the music is blaring over it but he mouths i still can't believe lefty got hit by that train <laughs> no, that doesn't that doesn't happen after hours wimpy is put in charge of fixing the arthur pinball machine in the back room of the arcade and he finds the trophy inside and then he hides it again yeah but he, guess where he hides it yeah very clever. Over the door frame of Pete's office. <laughs> That's where he hides it from Pete. Yeah. He calls Bert to announce that he found the pinball trophy. I don't know how he knew that Bert wanted it. And I like that. But I like that everyone has each other's numbers. Yeah. Like, like as Bert is not a friend to any of these people, but they ha- they know each other's they numbers. all have each other's phone numbers from when they had to do group projects in elementary school <laughs> and you had to memorize all your friends numbers they used to be best friends and now they all hate each other they've grown apart just made a whole mythology for this he calls bert to announce that he found the pinball trophy and they meet at a gym to discuss a trade-off for some reason they do a bit of bench pressing before they discuss any kind <laughs> of a trade-off well standard contractual <laughs> procedure yeah. yeah but also like they try to make it seem like wimpy is like a fat slob and and while he's a big guy he is definitely not what i would call like a fat character right. yeah he actually looks really built and and when when this whole thing when he's trying to bench press like and and he can't do it it's like dude your arms are like fucking tree trunks yeah <laughs> you could totally lift this yeah I don't get why they didn't get a, a fat guy to play a this fat part guy to play this part <laughs> do you not know any fat people come on Canada <laughs> yeah no, there's no fat people in Canada god damn it and those streets are paved with maple syrup. Wimpy wants to join Bert's street gang, but Bert says that they'll have to get him laid first because there's no virgins allowed. How about Sally? Will you get your mind off my broad? 
Suddenly, we cut to Sally hitchhiking, and Greg and Steve pick her up. She sits in Greg's lap instead yeah. of in the enormous backseat of the van, and she tells them, hey, by the way, Wimpy found that trophy, and he's making some kind of a deal with Bert. They drop her off at OJ's because she's hungry. Like She's like, take me to the place I work because I'm starving. Like, what is wrong with you? I mean, maybe she gets a employee discount. This is like this whole city is the biggest food desert that there is in all of Canada. And there's only one place to eat in 100 square miles. They drop her off there and then they go to bother Susie and Donna at a pool on the lake. We'll later discover that this is their home. Right. They find the girls sunbathing topless and then spray them with a hose and then steal their tops when they get up reacting to the water. I can't be bothered to follow what the characters are saying in this scene. Oh, it's actually really important because <laughs> one of them is talking about not wanting to be with the guy anymore. Yeah. I'm like, well, he fucking clinched it. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. want to be with this asshole anymore either. No, it's the, he's a keeper. These guys are both great. They're not gross at all. We cut to the motel at night where Bert is setting Wimpy up with his date, we get a new song with lyrics for every scene, by the way, but they're all equally awful. This one is called Voyeur's Motel. Bert gives Wimpy a condom to use, claiming that he's already used it once, and then Wimpy tries to blow it into a balloon animal. The boys shove him into a motel room, and surprisingly, there's actually a cute girl in there, so I guess good on them for subverting my expectations. I was sure this was going to be like, one of their friends in a costume or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, or an it animal. seems like an older woman. and I think it's supposed to just be a town prostitute okay. or something like that. Well, I was confused about whether or not she was a prostitute, though, because it seemed like that was my gut reaction at first. But then, like... Something else the- happens? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's just another confused customer. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. The bikers all watch through the window while she starts getting undressed. Nobody's going to bite you. Except maybe me a little. Oh, man. One of the bikers at the window gets so horny about it that he starts humping his friends. <laughs> They're getting really pissed off. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bert has left. Yeah, because the whole point of this was a distraction to get Whippy out of the way, I guess. Uh, Greg and Steve break into the back room of Pete's Arcade to steal back the trophy because somehow they know that it's there. Yeah. Um, they, they said, I bet Pete has his trophy back. It's like... It's his trophy. Yeah. Why wouldn't he have it back? Bert walks in on them while they're looking for this trophy and they all hide in the room, which is weird because he already made a deal for it with Wimpy and he's delivering on that deal now. So why bother paying a prostitute if you were just going to steal the trophy back? Right. He trips over a pile of film cans and accidentally flips a switch to turn on all the arcade machines at once, and all the hiding characters scatter out of the room in the confusion, but somehow Bert doesn't notice any of them. Mm-hmm. All Like, six people rushing past him in this room, and he doesn't see anybody. Or four people, I guess. Well, there's four people who scatter, and then there's two additional people, Pete and the lady friend that he's entertaining. Right, they're still in there. Bert makes his way to the back office, where Pete, the owner, is making out with a girl behind his desk, uh, apparently, this girl is the lady who got splashed with oil earlier. She's the wife of the councilman. Right. But she's being a completely different character in this scene than she's been in the whole rest of the movie. She's super hoity-toity in every scene. And then in this scene, she's like, I want you to teach me pinball. I want to be I want to be one of the people that I've been railing against for the entire plot so far. Uh, but they're just drinking and, and having sex behind his desk. Bert flicks on the light in the office, and Pete slowly rises and starts stammering out an explanation of what's going on. Uh, uh, Bert, listen, um, let me explain, Bert. I um... I don't know why he owes Bert an explanation for anything. Yeah. It's not like Bert's his boss. He owns the arcade. He should have just stood up and been pissed off. Yeah, and what's Bert going to do? If he tells anybody, who's going to believe him? Right. When Bert slams the door to leave, the trophy falls off of the doorframe, and Pete sees it there on the ground. So Wimpy needed to hide the trophy somewhere that Bert and Pete would not find it because yeah. he needed leverage to get something from Bert. And so he chose above the door on the inside of Pete's office where Pete literally couldn't not see it yeah. on his way out of his office. But, but apparently day. didn't. Yeah, but now there's like literally a spotlight on it while it's mm-hmm. above the door and it falls down into the door frame. So it's like just lying there on the ground where he would have to trip over it to leave. Suddenly, a drunk guy in a suit with an engagement ring shows up at the motel, and he's 
very interested in seeing Cindy uh, because he wants to marry her and, and make things right. And the bikers are trying to like shove him away. They tell him to bite the banooch. Uh, they say, <laughs> bite the banooch, buddy. Bite the banooch, buddy. Critical brain surgery in there now. Split. <laughs> Wimpy bursts through the motel room door to get away from the guy. And then he steals a trench coat from the flasher and runs off into the night. We cut to Greg and Steve on a ferry with their girlfriends the next day, and they're interrupting the photographs of strangers with a bunch of stupid poses. Yeah, total jerks. Yeah. The girls are leaning over a chain at the end of the boat when one of the chains snaps, but Steve manages to catch Susie before she falls off the boat, and then in a reverse angle, the chain is not broken anymore (laughs) while she thanks him. Later, they play on the beach for a while to summer girls free and easy this is actually the plot of the film slow motion footage of girls in wet bikinis there's there's (laughs) no other story to bother yourself with the pinball contest hasn't just taken a back seat it's riding like three cars back as far as we care somehow bert and the boys sneak over on the ferry also and then they sneak up and spray paint a giant dick on the side of the van the guy's are barely mad about it when they find out yeah. they come over and they're like oh what the hell is that and he's like well it's the right size he's like, <laughs> yeah you're right it's pretty cool actually it's a it's a good attitude free paint attitude <laughs> bert calls wimpy and reminds him of their deal what was their deal again oh yeah wimpy would trade the trophy in exchange for admission to the street gang not only is he not in the gang but he hasn't gotten laid yet But Wimpy tells him the bad news. Somehow Pete found the trophy in his office and moved it somewhere else, probably also still in his office. Uh, uh, well, I, uh, you see, uh... You still got it, don't you? Well, not really. Uh, I went to get it this morning and it wasn't where I put it. You idiot! And the thing I got you late. Even though Bert gave up on stealing the trophy and the guys know that Pete got it back, they still go out of their way to drive out to that shitty clubhouse and tie all of the motorcycles to the front of the building. And then they strap one of the stuffed animals they want at the fair onto Bert's motorcycle and start throwing cans at the house. When Bert is finally lured out of the building, he mistakes the giant teddy bear on his bike for a bike thief Yeah. first. Then he rips it off of his bike and he rides the motorcycle straight away from the building as if he knew that his bike was tied to the face of this structure because he's not following the van that's driving away. He's just driving straight away from the building. But, of course, when the slack runs out, he rips the whole front off of the building, and then he collapses in a field. The protagonists, who we are supposed to sympathize with, head up to some sort of make-out bluff area. Again, zero lighting, so it's just pitch black. It's basically just a parking lot posing as a cliff for people to be making out on. Because the writers were too lazy to come up with a third rich person joke, Rod is announcing that they are now a three Excalibur family. (laughs) Steve plants a transmitter in Rod's Excalibur, and then the four main characters of the film just sit in their van and listen to Rod and his girlfriend make out for a while. Like, it's just is weird like why would the girls at all be interested in doing this with them but it's being like piped in from that transmitter that like so it's it's happening live yeah and they're and they're hearing it in the car and they they are recording it also so they're getting little individual bits of what could be embarrassing like pam says it's so small i don't pam that's my thumb (laughs) so then that's not an embarrassing sound anymore like Mm -hmm. so it completely negates what could have been funny about this moment We cut to Susie and Donna's parents leaving for the weekend, and immediately a party is underway. Inexplicably, they have an operational pinball machine set up in the middle of their lawn. A dude is standing there with a ventriloquist dummy, but he never gets mentioned by anybody. Do you recall our last ventriloquist dummy? Humanoids? I think it might have been humanoids. I was going to say, we didn't watch magic for the show, so... (laughs) Suddenly, everyone is daring Wimpy to race a minibike into the pool. Sally and Wimpy face off in a game of strip pinball. Unclear why she agrees to this challenge since she admits that she has no interest in seeing him naked. If Wimp loses, he's got to drop his pants no matter how many people throw up. (laughs) Bert and the boys show up late to the party. Bert walks over to a fire alarm hung on a telephone pole. Yep. He breaks the glass, but then he pulls the alarm by just flipping open the cover. Was breaking the glass necessary? 
I, he I just guess. flips open the cover after and well also does Bert just randomly go by Susie and Donna's house just to make sure that they're there they're not having a party that he wasn't invited to but uh, so that happens and then for whatever reason he decides to sit there on his bike and wait for the fire truck to show up so he can point them towards the house that isn't on fire and receive the fine for wasting the fire department's time also the fire truck that shows up is out of the 1950s for yeah. some reason i think because the whole movie is trying to be out of the 1950s a little bit i mean it's not a period piece but i think they're trying to be old-fashioned with everything also renting a real fire engine is fucking expensive oh yeah <laughs> it's probably cheaper to find someone who has an old one yeah it's probably cheaper to just steal one <laughs> from a museum wimpy wins the first round of the contest and sally takes her boobs out but when she wins around Wimpy refuses to undress and runs away. We are about to see the eighth and ninth wonders of the world. I ain't showing my wonders. Come on, you promise. Are the dick and balls separate wonders? (laughs) (laughs) Somehow. He only only has the one ball. Oh, okay. (laughs) Or maybe just both of the balls are the wonders and the dick is is meaningless. <laughs> somehow, somehow the I don't think continues. <laughs> <laughs> somehow I don't think Wimpy's balls are on par with the hanging gardens of Babylon, let alone the Great Pyramid of Giza. Bert notices his topless girlfriend among the partiers chasing Wimpy. When Wimpy encounters the firefighters racing in with a hose, he steals it away from them to blast Bert to the ground before he can get the shit kicked out of him. Sally and another girl wrestle with the hose for a while until Donna and Susie's parents arrive home uh weeks early i don't know how long their trip was supposed to be did they literally just go to the store and came back (laughs) well (laughs) their kids threw a party well again since time seems to be expanded in this (laughs) universe where this single day they're they're on that planet from interstellar where like seven minutes is a year (laughs) because this whole i have just now been informed at the beginning of this podcast that this movie takes place over three weeks i was like well then this must have been at least four days yeah i didn't mean to blow your mind with that Over the whole fire hose scene, we are hearing a song about Sally Joy, which is seemingly a reference to both the character of Sally and Joy Bochelle, the actress playing her. The parents seem very upset about a party that has done zero damage to their property. Other than their yard is now wet from a hose. (laughs) Oh, no. Their daughters are topless. Their daughters aren't topless. Oh. No, just just Sally is topless. Oh, Sally was topless. Yeah. The daughters weren't. Okay. And I doubt they can tell from here. That's a gateway drug, being topless. That's true. Uh, I'd be surprised if they can tell from here that their pool is ruined because there's a mini bike at the bottom of it. For some reason, the firefighters don't care about any of this. Like, they just vanished the second that Wimpy took the hose away from them. We cut to that night. The sisters, Susie and Donna, have been grounded, but they're just hanging out in, like, the skimpiest underwear that they wear for the entire movie mm-hmm. and they're like laying on top of each other in their room just talking about random things what, like brothers don't do that that's what uh, sisters do. brothers do i didn't think sisters did. <laughs> <laughs> the boys call to invite the girls to a movie but they can't come because they're grounded someone i think the mayor no it's not the mayor is trying to sneak a date into the drive-in in in the trunk of his car but the girl is complaining loudly that she can't breathe and the guy selling tickets makes him open the trunk like he's a cop or something it's like if i was a city councilman i'd be like i'm a city councilman shut up yeah i will be watching a movie for free please because i would be a very corrupt city councilman inside we see rod and his lady are here and They're watching the 1968 film Krakatoa East of Java. Greg and Steve pull up next to Rod and start giving him shit immediately. They basically slut shame his girlfriend and then pick on him for defending her. We cut back to not the mayor's car where he is lighting a joint to share with his girlfriend, but he doesn't even know how to light it. He says that they took it off of some kids, but it's like, you're a city councilman. Like it didn't make sense for the mayor. That's when I started to get confused about what he was. I was like, is he like the chief of police and I misunderstood? Because it sounds like he's talking about he got this weed from like an evidence locker. But well, no, he he has marijuana that they got from someone somewhere. Well, that, that's why well, that he's a counselor. Uh, and that's so why I assumed he's some kind of attorney. I don't know. Or like I thought, a high school counselor? I thought it was city council. But I could be wrong. But why is he Why is he in a position to call up local businesses and tell them to lecture their clientele? Well, I but don't what know. if he's a school counselor? And, like, he literally took it off of students and mm. 
like he has to keep the maybe that's under control. Maybe he's a school counselor. But it's summer. School counselors shouldn't have any power over these kids whatsoever. <laughs> I don't get it. His girlfriend knows how to smoke the joint, so she teaches him how to do it. In the middle of the movie, Greg and Steve somehow manage to patch the audio they recorded from Rod's earlier date into the drive-in speakers. The dialogue fits conveniently into the mouths of the actors in the film until the theater manages to switch back to the film's audio. Well, yeah, I mean, usually the drive-ins would operate off of a short-range radio broadcast. Right. Um, so you can certainly hijack it if you have a more powerful transmitter. But, but somehow the the drive-in is able to take it back. Yeah, control. you wouldn't unless they can unless they could up the power going to their own transmitter. They wouldn't be able to do. But that. it's also possible they just ran out of audio to broadcast over the drive-in yeah. because that's as much as we heard them record before. Rod leaves to complain to the drive-in, and Greg and Steve sneak over to Pam alone in the car and start harassing her. On the verge of tears, she asks them to fuck off, and Steve grabs her head and gives her a big hard kiss on the mouth. It's blatant sexual assault, and worse than anyone else will do in the entire movie. Donna and Susie sneak out of their room at night and head to a nightclub called Oz. A dude in a full-on Saturday Night Fever costume starts dancing with them. Back at the drive-in, Greg and Steve pay probably $20 for food and then put three hot dogs, a hamburger, popcorn, and entire fucking pizza into the tailgate of the Excalibur. Like, not just one slice of pizza. They literally have a full pizza and they roll it up into a tube and shove it into the the tailpipe of the car. When Rod starts the car later, it blasts food backwards all over Counselor Frank's windshield. But nothing becomes of that. Like, I thought the counselor was going to get out and start shouting at him or hold him responsible somehow. It's literally just like, oh, gross, food. And then everyone leaves. Steve and Greg head to the home of their girlfriends and start tossing rocks at the window to get their attention when suddenly a white Corvette that looks kind of like Speed Racer's Mach 6 shows up. Yeah. The girls step out of the car and it's the Travolta guy. And they don't act like they've been caught or anything, which is a little bit weird because... They didn't even have a fight with the guys and they were like bummed that they couldn't go on this date with them to the movies and then they just decided to go out and went to a different place than the place where their boyfriends were which I just thought that was strange that like we didn't have a fight between these two characters and they seem really angry at the guys when they show up here. Aren't they supposed to be grounded? They are supposed to be grounded but they snuck out the window to go to the dance club. Uh. But maybe they felt like going to a dance club. I wouldn't necessarily, I'm not always feeling Krakatoa east of Java either. So maybe maybe a dance was in order. But it seems like they're pissed off at the guys for some reason. But nothing happened between their last conversation and this. Greg and Steve shove Disco Man around for a while until the girls jump to his defense. And they ask Greg and Steve to leave. The next day at OJ's. The guys flirt real loud with Sally while Susie and Donna watch from the disco pinball machine across the dining room. I, it seems like the the Arthur machine did not come back yeah. to OJ's and they replaced it with a disco one, which is kind of a reference to what they did the night before. Greg gives Sally a big kiss at their table and she doesn't put up a fight or anything. He just grabs her face and kisses her and she just walks away like she was a mannequin that someone kissed. Bert walks in, and Donna walks right up to him and puts an arm around him. He offers her a ride on the motorcycle, and she accepts. Bert grabs her ass on the way out the door, and Steve has to hold Greg back to avoid a fight. Susie goes and sits at a random table with two strangers. They're both male customers, and they're basically just... They look exactly like... At first, I didn't even realize that it wasn't Greg Greg and Steve walking in. Do they even say a single word the entire time she's sitting there? They don't say anything to her. I suppose they don't have to pay them as much. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She asks them to light her cigarette, and neither guy moves to help her. It's okay, I'm liberated. Steve walks over and blows out her match before she can light her own cigarette. Donna seems to legitimately enjoy the bike ride with Bert, and he honestly, in the first three seconds of them on this date going for a ride on the motorcycle he seems like a much better boyfriend than than greg and steve Susie continues flirting with the boys at the diner until she realizes that they're holding hands over the table and that she's sitting with two boyfriends she puts her hand on top of theirs as if they're about to do a go team steve walks over and just dumps a ketchup bottle all over the hands of the guys like i don't understand what he's doing he squirt ketchup all over the stranger's hand yeah 
that his <laughs> girlfriend just sat with them. Th- th- there's no point to anything that's happening in this scene. It's just she has to do something while her friend's out on this bike ride. How about leave? <laughs> yeah. And then she she has a really weird line here, too. She tries to clean up the guy's hand, and she says, Sorry about my idiot. I thought he was a friend. I don't know what any of that means. Sorry about my idiot? What does that mean? Like, did she screw up the line? Because I, I thought I, the I joke was going to be, Sorry about my friend. He's an idiot. Sorry mm-hmm. about the idiot. He's my friend or something like that. Oh, I see what you're saying about screwing up the line, then. Uh, I don't know. I, I it seemed like there was supposed to be a joke to the line, but I don't know why he, the guy is her idiot if they're broken up at this point. When Bert pulls back up to OJ's with Donna, Greg passes them in the parking lot and he starts up Bert's bike and races off with it. Bert follows on a friend's bike and Steve and the girls follow in the van. I was pretty hopeful that this would end in a fatal wreck for Greg, but that's yeah. not what happens. <laughs> They're driving the bike extremely slow and speeding the footage up, but it's painfully obvious because the actor has to keep putting his feet on the ground so the bike won't fall over. He drives it off a pier, and we get a brief moment where Donna is convinced that he has died. Bert is furious about the loss of his bike. Get down my bike! It doesn't even know how to swim! And just like that, Greg has earned back the love of the girl for doing something stupid and destroying someone's property in the process. When he climbs out of the water, the first hand he puts on the dock has a fish in it, and I really wanted him to have a fish in the other hand, too. (laughs) But a half a joke is better than no joke, I guess. Bert reminds Greg that he killed his motorcycle for no reason, and Greg pays him with a fish. Bert decides that... You know, know, give a man a fish, and he'll eat for a day. That's true. So, Bert will eat this day. (laughs) Bert decides he's going to win the contest as revenge. Since he doesn't believe that he can win fair, he goes to talk to Wimpy about rigging the machine in exchange for getting him into the street gang after next week's vote. We cut to the official contest, and a group of bikers are entering talking about biker stuff. They keep saying Benooch, by the way. <laughs> right, in the Benooch, <laughs> right in the Benooch. Kiss my Benooch. I... I tried googling it but i don't know how to spell banooch <laughs> and i'm pretty sure this movie was trying to create that word Fight the banooch, pal. or maybe it was like something local to the production anybody from montreal in 1978 can you tell me if <laughs> banooch was a big thing before the contest kicks off or i guess ha- long after the contest kicked off because we're about to do the finals pete introduces counselor frank jelnick who i guess is a school counselor? I don't, know. I don't know what he is. Everybody boos him loudly and somebody tells him to fuck off. He's like, all right, thanks so much. First, they hold the pinball queen contest with a clapometer on stage, registering the audience applause. The girls, by coincidence, are presented in order of score. Yeah. So it just keeps going up. Uh, when Sally is on stage, we see Wimpy cheering from the audience, and he seems to at least be a half member of the gang because he's wearing one of those german spiked helmets Mm -hmm. i looked it up it's called a pickle (laughs) halba after sally Susie beats her and then donna wins the contest steve shakes greg's hand to congratulate him for having the hotter girlfriend apparently we are already into the finals and greg and bert are invited to the stage did bert do well enough in the playoffs to make it to the finals apparently is he the second best pinballer in town well he's he's gotten a lot of games in because he doesn't have to pay for them I guess that's true, yeah. coin trick. Well, maybe maybe we haven't seen it up until this point, but all of them were rigged. Yeah, he's been cheating the entire time. What a weird coincidence. Everybody keeps tilting like an asshole. (laughs) Would Pete even let Bert enter this contest after he stole the trophy multiple times? (laughs) Like, he wasn't even allowed in the arcade, let alone in the contest. Well, there there was actually no proof that he that he himself stole it right but multiple times he said i told you not to come back here that's true in the arcade greg and bert do a little tough talk before they start the final round and this moment i feel like encapsulates the whole movie really well wish you both the best of luck and may the best man win only the best man will win a date with your chick Go for it. i can't wait <laughs> we'll just see you're up this whole movie is just a bunch of shitty trash talking and mistimed underwritten background jokes. 
But this guy just shouts who farted in the <laughs> middle of the dialogue of these two characters for their big moment together. A date with your chick? Who farted? I can't wait. Bert goes first, and the filmmakers must have been shitting themselves when they realized that literally nothing interesting has ever happened on a pinball machine. <laughs> Do you know what an insert of a flipper hitting a metal ball looks like? Then you have this scene memorized. <laughs> <laughs> and they try to like do like like cradle the ball cradle it cradle it cradle the balls <laughs> slayer this, oh, get this... that brian Posehn reference <laughs> and and we are an hour and 15 minutes into an hour and a half movie yeah and this is the first real pinball playing that we've done yeah everything else was just people arguing near a pinball machine yeah. Bert is done inside of a minute, and Greg does about the same. They play again, and both do a little better. Eventually, just as Greg is about to win the contest, Wimpy presses a button on a remote switch to cause the game to read tilt and disqualify him. Bert is given the trophy and congratulated. Uh, by the way, did you guys notice what the what game they're playing? No. This last pinball machine, which one they're on? No. It's a pinball summer pinball machine. Oh. And oh. it has all the characters from the movie illustrated on it. <laughs> That's including scenes from the movie with the police. That's awesome. What the fuck? <laughs> they got it for free. It was yeah. like the sample one. Yeah. And they printed all of those. When yeah, this it was, was supposed a hit to be movie. a promotional thing that they used to show people. Uh, now I want to go to like, was it? Uh, Are you afraid of the dark? Where the kids in the mall, but it's like a giant pinball machine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Bert is given the trophy and congratulated, but when Wimpy approaches him for confirmation he's in the gang... Wonderful job. We did it, Bert! We did it! You and me, we won! Thank you, sir. Then I could join the club. We could do everything together. Get lost, Wimpy. I don't know what you're talking about. Thank you, sir. Bert won't talk to him. So he admits to everyone that they cheated in the contest. The contest which, reminder, the grand prize for Greg is a date with his own girlfriend. <laughs> so there are literally no stakes. It is weird that Bert came so close to winning the contest on his own, though. And it yeah. might have been better to have the movie just end with him winning the contest legitimately. Since Donna seemed to actually like him on their drive together. Bert runs out of the arcade with the trophy. And instantly, a convertible and pickup are following him down the road. But weirdly, not the van that the boys have been driving for the entire movie. The pickup truck, driven by Pete with Wimpy in the passenger seat, has Sally and an entire pinball machine in the bed for some reason. There... They got in their truck and they put Arthur in the back of it and they told Sally to sit on the Arthur pinball machine while they drive down the road. Now, is this the titular pickup summer? I guess. This is, yeah. This yeah. Is, if, if we're talking about trucks, then yes. This is the only pickup in the movie. Well, I didn't know if pickup referred to a truck or if there was some other meaning to the word pickup. I assume that it's like getting ladies, like pickups. Yeah, I didn't know. I wasn't sure. <laughs> I, I'm not certain either. But they're never picking up ladies. They, they already have ladies. Well, and that's like that was my argument when you read the IMDb synopsis for this movie was about two guys chasing these two girls throughout summer or something like that. And I was yeah. like, they're their girlfriends already. I can't, I'm not even sure that they are. Like, I, it kind of feels like even at the end of the movie that they're just two girls that live in the same town and, the, and they're very persistent about pursuing these two girls. But- it didn't seem like they had to try very hard. They seemed like they were with them the entire time. Yeah. Well, the one time that they tried to leave, they were like, nope. And then put them in the back seat of the car and just drove off in their car with them. Like they were hostages. Cops are now following the line of cars as well. Sally, sitting on top of the pinball machine, rolls out of the bed of the truck and falls into the street. <laughs> I was sure she was just going to get killed by run over by the police here. Impossibly the arcade machine has started rolling the opposite way down the street after it fell out of the bed. So not the way that the truck was driving, but it's rolling the other way down the street full speed. <laughs> I don't know how that happened momentum-wise, but the police don't notice until the last second, and they swerve to avoid it and drive off into a swamp on the side of the road. But the the game as she's riding it is the Arthur game, and it's still talking to her despite not being plugged in. Hey, hey, don't tickle me there. Who said that? See... That's a plot point. This movie was about a talking pinball machine. I'm certain of it. Yeah. And and the pinball machine. All of it out. Yeah. This pinball machine was supposed to be some kind of character in this movie. Maybe in the three hour version of it, the pinball machine was like, take me with you guys. Tell Sally to sit on me in the bed of the truck. (laughs) Hey, don't tickle me there. 
Who said that? Bert drives past his magically repaired clubhouse and turns to flip off the people chasing him, but when he looks back forward, he almost crashes head-on into a truck that swerves to avoid him and demolishes the clubhouse completely. Bert willingly hands them the trophy, and we get a spinning trophy wipe to a montage <laughs> of punchlines from the film as the credits roll. And that's the end of our film. Oy. This movie was real dumb. Yeah. Bert's the good guy. Yeah. And he wanted a trophy for no reason. Yep. <laughs> a trophy that he almost legitimately won. Yes. In the first place. Our director here was George Mahalka. He followed this up immediately with My Bloody Valentine, which was actually released a month earlier in the United States. Writer Richard Zelnicker. Nothing else I recognized here except an episode of The Littlest Hobo. Uh, we mentioned that show in our prom night review because almost everyone in that movie was in some episode of The Littlest Homo <laughs> because it must have shot in Montreal. Cinematographer Rodney Gibbons, back for My Bloody Valentine, Scanners 2, The New Order, and seven episodes of the 97 Lassie series. Michael Zelnicker played Greg. This is his second film appearance after Hog Wild, which we somehow missed for 1980. I have to assume, based on the last name, that he's related to screenwriter Richard Zelnicker. He also plays a character named Martin in Cronenberg's Naked Lunch. Carl Marat played Steve. He'll be back for gas later this season, but we just saw him getting his face boiled in a pot of hot dogs back in My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> Karen Steven played Donna. She's also in Hogwild, and we'll see her later this season as Miss Calhoun in Happy Birthday to Me, her final feature film appearance. Those are her three movies total. Helene Udy played Susie. She's also in Hogwild and in My Bloody Valentine. We saw her head impaled on a water pipe. Oh, wow. She was also Wyzak's mother in Dead Zone and Myra Bing in 73 episodes of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Thomas Kovacs played Bert. He's also in Hogwild. He's uncredited boyfriend in Scanners. And he plays Mike in My Bloody Valentine, where he gets skewered to the virgin waitress Harriet in a missing scene, and we only get to see the aftermath of them stabbed together. Joey McNamara played Wimpy. He's only in one other movie, where he played a bank robber in a French film with the American title, Hot Dog Cops. <laughs> Perfect. Joy Bochelle played Sally. We saw her last year as a girl named Pet in Terror Train, where her costume was just pants hiked up over her boobs. She'll show up in 1982's Quest for Fire. She's also Tawny in The Fly. That's the girl that Goldblum picks up at a bar mm -hmm. and then tries to test his teleporter on. And Melissa in Look Who's Talking, the girl who Mikey's dad ends up with instead of Kirstie Alley. J. Robert Mays played Pete. He's also in Hot Dog Cops with Wimpy. These are the only two films for both actors. <laughs> Matthew Stevens played Rod. This is his only film. Sue Ron played Pam. This is her only film. Bob King played Biker Number One. This is his only film. Rob Stein played Biker Number Two. He's also in My Bloody Valentine as the guy who finds Susie stabbed on a water pipe. Um, and then the third biker is Rob Ferguson. He's only in this film. I only bring them up because all three of the bikers are named Robert, which is interesting. Roland Nincheri played Counselor Frank Jelnick. He was Mr. Crenshaw in Hogwild. We've seen him previously as the bus driver in Terror Train and Large Man in Mall from Scanners. I like that he's the bus driver in Terror Train. <laughs> yeah. There's so many, like, it's all just Canadian movies across the board. Lynn Jackson played Mrs. Jelnick. She's Mrs. Click in Police Academy 3, but not much else I recognized. Margaret Gadboy played Mrs. Jelnick's friend. I assume that's the other lady who got splashed at the beginning. Right. Um, and who went for the midnight walk. Uh, she played Woman in Mall in Scanners, so they must have just been there on the same day. Eve Robin played Tracy, the prostitute. She's also in Hot Dog Cops. Dick Grant played Tracy's drunk. That's the guy who's trying to propose to the prostitute. He's also in Hot Dog Cops. He's also a pilot in Virus, a.k.a. Day of Resurrection, which we'll be getting a belated minisode this year. And Steve Michaels played the father of the sister characters. He was the brake man in Terror Train. He's also Scanner's Security One driver, which I think might be the guy who crashes into the wall before the car explodes. Oh, okay. He also played a maitre d' in Oh, Heavenly Dog last year. Those are all the credits I had for this one. Uh, this is a big thumbs up for me just because... No, it's not. It's bad. It's really bad. 
it was it was difficult to watch. Yeah, the, I I was already furious about how mean Greg and Steve were being to Rod for so much of the movie, and that after what they put them through at the drive-in, and then kissing his girlfriend against her will, and then in the same scene they start jamming hot dogs into the tailpipe of the car and i was like oh my god really like in the same scene we're not even yeah. gonna like wait a day to do the next terrible well, thing it might this have been guy. a day we don't that's know that's true yeah. <laughs> this is three weeks they were at the, one of those the four-day marathon <laughs> things where we just watch krakatoa over and over again um but yeah it's it's really bad it's mean-spirited um and it's obviously problematic yeah like i said it, it it tries to be too many different types of movies. It's like it opens with we gotta stop those kids down at the arcade. It's like okay, it's gonna be about shutting down the arcade. Yeah. Now, in fact, we're rarely in the arcade. Yeah. Uh, the arc- and they don't care about the arcade. Yeah. They only care about the trophy. Yeah. So it's like okay, Bert stole the trophy. We're gonna, we're gonna have to get that trophy back, but they don't want to get it back to give it back to Pete because they're legitimately upset that Pete has it back. Yeah. Like they wanted to get it to do what Bert did to keep it for themselves. Yeah. So, like what's the point of keeping an unearned trophy? It's like going to Goodwill and buying somebody used trophy. Like this is dumb. You could go to the trophy store and buy the exact same trophy if that's mm-hmm. all you wanted. But Yeah, I don't know. They're saying I I think they've decided that this isn't a prize for winning a contest. Now it's a prize for whoever committed robbery most recently. Yeah. And we spend as much time with Bert as we do with Greg and Steve because Bert has all these scenes like with, with, with Wimpy, like doing all these other little side things. And, and he has like, what's the worst thing that Bert does in this movie? The, the worst thing that Bert does, I guess is try to steal a pinball game by having a quarter on a string and then. So his, the worst thing he does in this movie is stealing the trophy at the end. Yeah. That's the worst thing he does. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. And and he asks Wimpy to rig the pinball game, but he has a legitimate gripe against uh, Steve or Greg or whoever. I can't yeah. remember. Uh, for, he, he destroyed his yeah. his motorcycle and was making out with his girlfriend at this place. And probably almost killed him when that rope was attached because that sudden stop on that motorcycle would have thrown him. Yeah, but he's not especially mean to anybody. No. He he repeatedly takes the trophy. But he's not the asshole to he's not even a, a terrible guy to Wimpy. Yeah. Like he's trying to help Wimpy like make some progress in his life. Even if it's By kind of a gross way. A sex worker. Yes. Yeah. That's and fine. The She's getting money. Yeah, he's he's helping <laughs> that, That's a weird trickle down theory though. You don't want to <laughs> Oh god. Let's not talk about trickling with prostitutes. Uh I that's why I thought this whole time that Bert was going to come around that that the closing down of the arcade was going to be something and they were going to they go look Bert's got guys we need to get Bert's help to do to accomplish a goal to save the arcade wouldn't that be an interesting sex comedy movie where there's just the two raunchy prankster leads and by the end of the movie you realize that everyone in town fucking hates them and then (laughs) the loner on the motorcycle the whole time wins everybody's hearts and it's like the movie's just about that guy coming out on top at the end of the day yeah well that's kind of how the uh frank darabont the blob movie works out. (laughs) that's true (laughs) uh that's funny i like that movie but yeah, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Way uh, down. Let's see where this is going. Letterboxd. I haven't even looked at my list yet. So I have this one going into 17th place. Oof. It is below Harry's War because at least that one had some explosions. <laughs> it's above Home Sweet Home. Just uh, in terms of production value, I guess it's above Home Sweet Home. Yeah, because I would say it's, Harry's War had slightly more production value. Yeah, uh, and uh, and Home Sweet Home barely had like a discernible story or production value, and and this one is pretty much on that level, but yeah. ever so slightly better. Yeah. So I also have it at seventeen. <laughs> uh, it it's just it's just trash. Uh, I don't care about this movie at all. Uh, I don't get why these characters are doing what they're doing and why these girls are supposed to be into these guys. 
I don't want you guys to think that I liked this movie. It's in fourth place. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's 16th place. I'm putting it above Harry's War because Harry's War didn't have any boobs in it. Um, <laughs> I guess I like explosions more than boobs, and you like boobs more than explosions. That's fair. I would yeah. say that's a fair assessment. Okay. Um, but I thought that the character of Harry is a far more dangerous uh, misunderstanding of what uh, the good but, guy should be but I think than at least, <laughs> the pinball summer guys. I think at least it's an interesting character because you're like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? As opposed to these guys where you're just like, these guys are fuckers. Yeah, <laughs> like- <laughs> uh, Greg and Steve would for sure have like an extremely popular YouTube account. Like they, they would have a YouTube channel where they just do pranks on poor so Montreal. Obnoxious. They just like blow up people's expensive cars and shit and they think it's hilarious that they would would for sure have a youtube channel yeah i don't know yeah they they're all nonsensical in in terms of like their story and character development and whatnot but i think yeah for me if if you sat me down and forced me to watch one of these again i'd pick harry's war over this i think the music's better here Summer girls, free and easy. That's the only song I actually kind of liked. I mean, pinball summer is not terrible either. <laughs> they get in your head, though. They're earworms the whole lot. Uh, I think that's everything for pinball summer. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. You can find the button at the top of our .com and join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future. Also search for Vintage Video Podcast on YouTube and subscribe to our new channel there. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Ruckus, which IMDb describes like so. A Vietnam veteran passing through a small town is harassed by local bullies, but he fights back using his wartime skills and triggers a full-scale police manhunt. Why does that sound so familiar? <laughs> another, movie, another movie that starts with R, perhaps? No. I'll tell you when I think of it. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. We leave you now with a trailer. Ferrakis. The chase was on. It was him against them. Hey, Joe, ain't you going a little too fast? Well, so much for them. Sometimes he'd go flying at them. Oh, look at my truck! Oh, no! Other times, he'd go flying by them. One day, they thought they had him. Look out one to all stations. He's coming out, and I'm on him like the shadow. This is Cease out. The sheriff had all the men. But he had all the smarts. Ruckus in Maddock County, a comedy romp across country roads. <laughs>